über griechische Kochkünste, über Ideen Today, in Germany, we talk about über Greek culinary arts, ideas made in Germany and the cultivation and care of intellectual property rights in our CF podcast. Welcome to the CF Podcast, Ideas in Focus, the interview podcast of the law firm Cohouse and Florak. Today's topic is important contexts and insights from the world of intellectual property rights. My name is Elena Winter and today I'm talking to Gottfried Schull. He is a patent attorney and partner at Cohouse and Florak. And today, he is explaining to us what influence a country's IP system actually has on its economic performance and vice versa. Welcome, Mr. Schull. Thank you very much. Let's start very fundamentally with the idea behind property rights. I did a little historical digging and the first attempt to introduce the patent laws we know today was made by the Sybarites around 700 BC. These were the inhabitants of the Greek colony of Sybaris in in southern Italy, and they were apparently also quite the gourmets, who were known for their good cuisine. But at the same time, they were also very resourceful people. They are said to have actually formulated a kind of patent for their recipes. In historical writings, for example, the following sentence has been found. If one of the cooks were to invent a new delicious dish, no one else should be allowed to make use of this invention before the expiration of one year, but only the inventor himself. During this time, he was to have the business profit of it, so that the others would exert themselves and compete to excel in such inventions. I don't know about you, Mr. Schell, but this is already something of what we know today from modern patent legislation, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. One can definitely say all essential elements are already present there. The idea of the Sybarites was, on the one hand, to give the inventor of the recipe or the composer, whatever you want to call him, an incentive, that is, a reward for having taken the trouble to develop the recipe in the first place, and, on the other hand, to make public the recipe, enabling others to copy it. So they asked themselves, how could they motivate him to agree to this, and came to the conclusion that this could be done by giving him what we now call the exclusive right to it, that he is the only one entitled to cook or implement this recipe for a limited period of time, which is also a classic element of patent protection. So, very important principles play a role here, because the legislator, or in this case the Sybarites, could have just come up with the idea of rewarding him directly by giving him money or whatever was customary at the time. But instead, the idea was to give him the right to forbid others to use it, thus giving it a competitive edge, so that the recipe's value would develop by itself in a dynamic market. If the recipe sold well, it would be worth a lot, and the person who created it gets a high reward. So no one else is required to put a value on it. That is simply determined by the market. It's the same principle today. And, of course, this novelty comes in decisively. That is, the recipe had to be as new and original as possible. 
Yes, that's still a requirement today, of course. The core of this idea is you don't get a reward for imitating, for copying something. Rather, you receive a reward because you made an effort, you invested time. Composing or developing the idea takes time, and of course you also spend time bringing it to market. All these efforts should be rewarded. Let's take a look at the present day. What specific incentives does an economy need to become and remain innovative? As I just said, basically the Sybarites already had everything in place. The basic idea is exactly the same. Today's market economies function according to the same principle. Of course, it all gets increasingly difficult, more complicated. Take mobile communications, often used as a standard example for innovation nowadays. The standards for communication technology are constantly being developed further. That's not something a cook in his kitchen can do, as was the case with the Sybarites. It's a combined effort involving research departments with, in some cases, hundreds or thousands of people. But the principle remains the same. How do I reward those who make this effort and ensure they put it out there into the public domain? With all IP rights, publishing what you've developed is at the heart of it. The patent is published, the trademark is published, the design is published, and there is usually, the trademark is an exception, a limited period of protection, after which others can benefit from this publication without colliding with the protection rights of the inventor. And that's how long I have exclusivity. Exactly. For this period, I can prohibit its use or allow others to use it in exchange for money. That's a license. Exactly. I can issue a license. The Sybarites probably did the same. You can use the recipe, but you need to pay me for that right. Back then, the usage period was one year. Today, it's 20 years. Innovation cycles for patents are long, but that's appropriate. Now, we have also chosen as a topic the economic performance of a country. We also want to talk about that today. How are the property rights system and the economy related to each other? I think it's very important that the property rights system is in line with the culture of the country. Thus, in Germany, we have a very strong tradition of technological development. We have very many medium-sized companies that develop and produce, and many of them also benefit from patent protection. One complements the other. On the one hand, you have the developers, and on the other hand, there's the system protecting their rights. In other countries, the situation is different. They have the same legal protection system, but it is implemented differently in practice. But I think it's essential for the culture of a country, and I think it's unfortunate that it's often not perceived that way, because the quality of a protective rights system reflects the overall economic situation of an economy. And there are many examples for this. So Germany is an example for technological property rights, and there are also examples for other kinds of property protection that work well in other countries. China is also a prime example of a very broad property rights system, isn't it? Yes, in China it's a bit like it used to be in Germany. 
The Chinese government has recognized very strongly, and you can read this in publications time and again, that patent protection is an instrument for them, that is, for the Chinese government to enhance economic development. The Chinese government has recognized, and this wasn't an attribute of China's culture in the past, that beyond classic copying, which also has a long tradition in China and was regarded by those being copied as an honor, of proof that they had created something of value, it is also essential that you are rewarded, not only by being copied, but also by receiving something in return. It used to be the case, and anyone a bit older than I am remembers this, that many products that came from China were simply copies of others, already existing products. But they have recognized that this is not a recipe for success in the long term. You can achieve greater added value for the economy as a whole if you produce innovative products. And to promote this, the Chinese government is energetically promoting its technical protection system, that is, Chinese patents and also the corresponding legal framework applied in the courts. They have adopted an all-encompassing approach and are systematically pursuing it. The history behind Made in Germany also fits in with this. It started at the beginning of industrialization in the middle of the 19th century, when it was still a cheap label, you could say, that the English had introduced at that time to identify low-quality German goods and such. In the course of time, however, the label became a sign of quality for high-quality handicraft goods from Germany, for example, children's toys, porcelain and things like that. What does this example show us? That made in Germany is also a concrete sign of Germany's ability to innovate. Well, that's something I've just touched upon with regard to China. In principle, China is in a similar situation today as Germany was about 120 years ago. China produces a great deal, as was the case in Germany at the time. But in the beginning, many products were simply copies, particularly from Britain, that is, from British companies. And those companies wanted to defend themselves against this by declaring those German products to be made in Germany. But at the end of the 19th century, Germany also recognized that copying products wasn't the way forward and did a lot to establish the patent system. Werner von Siemens, for example, contributed greatly to this, and over the years, Germany managed to become an innovation leader in many areas through its rigorous adherence to the patent system. This didn't simply happen because the patent laws were created. In principle, the legal framework, the rules, have been almost identical throughout the world for more than 100 years. But what was also vital was the development of the court system, so that if you own a patent, you can enforce your claim if you have to. A theoretical claim by itself doesn't get you anywhere. You also have to ensure that in practice, third parties are prohibited from using something that is protected. A great deal of work and experience has gone into the German patent court system, and we still benefit from this today. What does it take for this system to continue to exist and be effective? I don't think that it takes that much, but it does require an awareness of how things are. 
We have the combination of a certain cultural situation, i.e. being innovative and good at craftsmanship, and the property rights system, and there is a synergy between these elements which, in my view, is very, very important for Germany. We sometimes lose sight of this because it's a somewhat abstract idea. Of course, the people involved, the SMEs, the large companies, know that there are patent laws. German SMEs also know that they can enforce their rights. They take it for granted because it's what they've experienced. But they don't really know why it's like this. They think it's because of the patent laws, but there's more to it than that. The judges are important, as is the system in its entirety. And you have to be careful because this lack of knowledge can lead to a certain lack of finesse when it comes to understanding what actually happens when you start tinkering with elements of the system. That's why I think it's important to realize that, beyond the basic law, there is a whole system in place, above all, people who ultimately ensure that the system works. Who else do you see as responsible? You just mentioned the judges in the responsibility to ensure this effectiveness. Of course, that's also us, the patent attorneys, who have to do a good job, but also the associations who have to recognize what's important and where we have to be careful. Associations, just like politics, which of course also plays a role, have to weigh things up when it comes to interested parties pushing their agenda. Let's say some company wants to prevent something. But on the other hand, what role does the patent system play for the economy as a whole, especially in a country like Germany? It really is up to the associations and politicians to pay more attention to this, to understand who should be getting their attention, so that the system can continue to work the way it should. Mm, what could that look like in concrete terms? Well, right now, moves are underway to soften the laws somewhat, to put it carefully, to make it harder to prohibit others from doing something. I think that is counterproductive. And then there are also moves to standardize the patent system throughout Europe via the so-called UPC, that is, the Unified Patent Court. What they're losing sight of here somewhat is that, as I already described, the German court system plays a vital role, because it will, in fact, be abolished at the end of this process once the Unified Patent Court is implemented. There will then be a new system, and we can only hope it will guarantee the level of quality our present system has. I'm skeptical of that, because there are, of course, countries with other interests. There are countries with completely different legal traditions and, above all, different economic situations. Take France as an example. In France, it is really difficult, not impossible, but difficult to enforce a patent in court, that is, to enforce a claim. What's the reason for that? That's because technological innovation doesn't play the same role in France as it does in Germany. In France, other things are more important. For instance, luxury brands, to name an obvious example. So in France, there's no problem protecting your brand name, but your patent is a different matter. So there are different interests. The French companies aren't as concerned about patent protection because they're used to more limited patent protection. In Germany, that's quite different. The desire to create a uniform legal jurisdiction is understandable, but it's important not to lump everything together too much.
much, but also to consider the situation of individual nations. You just mentioned the system of care and maintenance. What do you notice in your work as a patent attorney? What are some examples where you notice again and again that you are now directly challenged with the system to nurture and care for it? My situation is a bit special because I work a lot in the field of standard essential patents, which is very much in the political focus. Here it's very often the case that particular interests come to the fore. I notice that, and it worries me. I see the problem in a lack of awareness of how we're actually benefiting from the status quo. A lack of knowledge about how, to put it very generally, respective cultural protection principles play a major role within economic systems. Another example, apart from France, is the US. There you have a certain level of protection for business practices, as well as patent protection, especially for software. And it doesn't require much thought to see a connection between the two. In the States, however, getting legal protection through the courts is very expensive, and this in turn leads to corporations having an advantage. In Germany, the situation is different. Our patent law court system is comparatively affordable by international comparison, so small and medium-sized companies can afford to enforce protection through the courts. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of things would have to mesh together for a system like this to work and also be maintained. Exactly, and it's very important to me that people understand that. The systems are interwoven, so to speak. On the one hand, the economic system, on the other hand, the protection system. They belong together, and they form a unit, and the results are there to see. In Germany, it works well for technological innovation. In France, brands benefit. In Italy, design. I could go on giving examples. But to come back to China, They've understood this when it comes to technological innovation, and they are also very much following the German example. Thank you for the interview, Mr. Schull. Thank you.